Well, thanks so much, Lauren, for getting us up to speed. And and so with that, I want to go ahead and read the passage that we're going to be walking through today in our first Samuel series called King of the Kings. It's going to be a shorter one. It's going to be chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. And I'll read that for us now. But I really encourage you, if you, you can listen along, but if you have a Bible somewhere, make sure to go and get it because later we're going to be backtracking and talking about some stuff in chapters 9 and 10 before this. But I'm going to read our passage, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint us a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. This is God's word. And there's a, there's a practice that I, I've invited you to start doing. Many of you may already do it because of your life groups or just because you do this personally, but we put out a Bible study guide or a life group study guide that walks through the passages that we go through on Sunday. Um, and, and if you haven't heard the encouragement before, I, I want to encourage you, make it a part of your weekly routine, a part of your weekly habit to go through that study guide. Because if you're in a life group, it will really equip you to have meaningful discussions with your life group. And if you're not in a life group, it will help you to dig deeper into the things that God is teaching us as a church. Um, and this week, if you do it, one of the first questions that you'll run across is one that asks you to share about a time when you were forced to do something that you didn't feel prepared for. And so to start, I'll share a time when I felt that way. And it was a number of years ago, probably about 12 years ago, I was sitting in my office. I was a pastor uh, of a church in Oregon um, and I was waiting for a meeting. And the meeting that I was waiting for was an engaged couple who had come to me and asked, them to, uh, asked me to officiate their wedding. And I'd met with them once 
And when I met with them once, it became clear that the, the young woman was a believer in Jesus um, and the young man was not. Um, we talked a little bit about it. I tried to dig in and discern what exactly was going on. Uh, but after they left, I, I just knew what I was going to need to do. I knew that I was gonna need to talk to them and say, I cannot officiate your wedding. Um, I, I can't tell you not to get married. You're gonna have to make that decision for yourself, but I can't officiate your wedding because I think that the Bible is pretty clear that when you are a believer in Jesus, when you have devoted your life to following Jesus, the idea of getting married to somebody who hasn't done that is simply inviting a world of pain and difficulty. And so I knew that they were gonna show up in my office, a happy engaged couple ready to talk about the ceremony and that I was gonna have to have this difficult conversation with them. And I don't relish those difficult conversations. In fact, one of the things that was going on as the, the time was ticking away and I was waiting for this to happen was just to say, I, I took a lot of classes in college and in seminary and none of them talked about how do you talk to an engaged couple that you're gonna tell them, I'm not gonna do your wedding. Um, beyond that, I just felt like, isn't there somebody else? I, I was one of the younger pastors on staff. Isn't there somebody else that should be doing this? Is this really something that I have to do? I don't relish conflict and I hated the idea of seeing this couple that was so excited to have to have this news from me and have to deal with the disappointment about what was going to need to come. I desperately didn't want to do this. And at the same time, it was unmistakable that God had put me in a position where I needed to do this. I was dealing with those two conflicting realities. Man, I would rather do almost anything else and at the same time, I know I'm God's man for this situation. I know he's put me in a place where I need to move forward in this. And that certainly is not the last time I've been in that situation. And if you follow Jesus, you've been in situations similar to that. Situations where you're dealing with, on the one hand, I don't wanna do this. In fact, I don't know if I can do this, but I can't ignore the fact that I know that God is calling me to do this. Is sometimes God puts us in positions where following him means we need to do things that we're afraid to do. And maybe we're afraid because we're afraid we can't do them. And it's not simply a matter of saying, well, you gotta just do it. We have to look and say, where do we gain the resources? What empowers us as believers in Jesus to be able to step forward by faith in obedience when God calls us to do something that we're afraid to do. And that brings us to the point now that we're gonna walk back through the story in the passage that I read earlier. The passage of the coronation of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And so the story begins in Mitzpah, Samuel the prophet and the priest, and to that point, the judge in Israel gathered all the people there and they were there for a coronation. This is an exciting event. This is something that the people of Israel have literally never experienced before, that they're gonna gather together and they're gonna see a king crowned. All of the people of Israel have, have assembled. They're all standing. They're all waiting. Kids are up on shoulders. People have their phones out and have it on video mode. Everybody is tuned in to what's going on and everybody is waiting for the answer except for one guy. There's one guy that's hiding with all the luggage. 
Because apparently when the Israelites all came in, they found a space to pile all the supplies that they brought on this journey and somebody is hiding behind all of them. And that person is Saul. And he's peeking out from behind, hoping that nobody notices him as he hears Samuel begin the speech. And Samuel's speech for the coronation begins kind of awkwardly. It starts with him saying to the Israelites, here's what God says. It was God who brought you out of Egypt when you were slaves there to Pharaoh. It was God who delivered you over and over again. But by asking for a king, you have rejected God. Samuel, in essence, is saying we should never have gotten to the point where we're here for this event. That's an uncomfortable way to start a coronation. Um, It's almost like a pastor getting up at a wedding and saying, well, I told this couple that they should wait and that now is not the right time, but they didn't listen to me, so here we are. Samuel says we shouldn't even be here doing this coronation. But what happened was back in chapter eight, when Samuel was getting older and he was ready to kind of hang up his gloves, he was ready to no longer be the judge and the leader of Israel, but to hand it over to his sons, the elders of Israel came to him and they said, you're old, you can't do the job anymore. And your sons are ungodly, they can't do the job. So give us a king. And now is the time that Samuel's about to give them a king. But there's a guy named Saul who's hiding while all of this is going on. And the reason that Saul is hiding is because he already knows who the king is going to be and that king is going to be him. And if we just rewind the tape a little bit and go back to chapter nine, we'd figure out how this all came about. Because we find out there was a man named Saul. He was part of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was a pretty impressive guy from at least seemingly an impressive family, a family of renown to some extent, And he was an impressive person because he was taller than everyone else in Israel. He was probably a good looking, rugged, athletic warrior in Israel. He was an impressive person. One morning, his father Kish comes to him and he says, the donkeys have left. We don't know where the donkeys are. I need you and your servant to go out and find them. And so Saul and his servant go on a search and they're not very successful. They've tracked down all the neighbors' farms. They've looked in all the surrounding lands. They've gone into the villages. They haven't found the donkeys. And Saul turns to his servant and he says, you know what? Dad's gonna start getting worried about us and stop worrying about the donkeys. So maybe we should just go home. But his servant says, you know what we should do first? We should find a man of God. We should find a seer, a prophet. Maybe he'll be able to tell us where the donkeys are. And the servant says, I know where one is. And by the way, the prophet that they're going to go see is Samuel. And so Saul and his servant head on over to where Samuel is. And Samuel all the while has been warned by God. God the previous day had told him, tomorrow I'm going to send to you the man who's going to be king. And he tells him all about him. And he tells him before he leaves you, anoint him as the ruler of Israel. So when Saul and his servants show up, they don't even know they're talking to Samuel. They say, do you know where the man of God lives? And Samuel says, I'm the one you're looking for. And by the way, those donkeys you were looking for, they're already home, so don't worry about them anymore. This must have right away for Samuel and his servant convinced them this person is not an ordinary person because he knew why we'd come and he already gave us the answer. But then he looks at Saul and he says, you are the one on whom all the desire of Israel rests. 
And the idea is that he's giving Saul a preview that he's gonna be a very important person in Israel. And and Saul responds kind of confused looking at this and saying, who am I? I'm just from the tribe of Benjamin, which at that point had been decimated by a civil war in Israel that you can read about in the book of Judges. Um, It it was a small tribe at that point. He says, I'm from the least tribe. I'm just a normal guy. Who am I? Which by the way, we could read as humility and actually could be really good humility. But what happens is that Samuel says, Saul, you're going to stay around. I want you to eat with me. I want you to spend the night. And then the next morning, I'm going to send you on your way. And Saul and his servant do this. And they talk with Samuel. They eat with him. They spend the night. And the next morning, Samuel turns to Saul and he says, send your servant on ahead. I've got something to talk to you about. And at that point, he pours oil on Saul's head and he anoints him as the ruler of Israel. And then just to confirm to Saul that God is in this and that God had chosen him to be the ruler, he says, on your way home, you're going to encounter three things. And I'm going to tell you a detailed account of what you're going to encounter before you're going to encounter it. Um, The first thing that you're going to encounter is that you're going to go near the tomb of Rachel, the, the, the wife of Jacob, the patriarch from all those years ago. You're going to be near her tomb and you're going to meet two men. And those two men are going to tell you the donkeys that you were looking for, they're already home. And your dad is worried about you now, not the donkeys. And he says, after that, you're going to travel on and you're going to get close to this famous tree by Tabor. And there you're going to meet three men who are going to Bethel to worship And when you meet those three men, they're going to offer you some bread and you're going to take it. And then he says, not only that, but after that, as you can continue to travel, you're going to come across a group of prophets and the prophets are going to be coming along. They're going to be worshiping and they're going to be prophesying. And you not only are going to encounter them, but you're going to be swept up by the power of the Holy Spirit and you are going to join them in their prophesying. And when Saul leaves, all of these signs come to pass one by one. And you can almost imagine, just just kind of think of Saul's mindset right now. He's going through the process. He's just been told that he's going to be the ruler of Israel, told that he's an important person. When he hadn't considered himself to be an important person, you might need some convincing. And so he's got these three signs. He first encounters these two men that are at exactly the place that Samuel said they were going to be. But, but you could look at that if you're Saul and you could say, well, all right, dad sent out servants to come to look for me. It's probably not that big a deal. It could just be a coincidence. But then when he goes further and gets by the tree and meets the men going to Bethel and they give him the bread, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to deny. And then when Saul gets to the point that he sees the prophets singing and worshiping and prophesying, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he joins them in their prophesying, it now has become undeniable that God is in this. It would be pretty hard for Saul to walk away from that and say, there's no way God is a part of what's going on. And yet at the same time, Saul is hiding when coronation time comes. In fact, when he gets back home after all these amazing signs had happened, his uncle asks him where he's been and he tells his uncle that he's been with Samuel, but he doesn't tell his uncle anything about the anointing, anything about the kingship, anything about the signs that he encountered along the way. And now he's at Mizpah hiding because he doesn't believe that he's up to the task. And I just want to pause and ask you here, um, have you ever tried to re-explain to yourself clear signs from God that you were supposed to do something. 
We have an amazing power to talk ourselves out of God's clear guidance. Maybe that wasn't God telling me to do that. Maybe that was just myself. Maybe that was my own guilt. Maybe that was Satan. Maybe that was somebody else's voice. Um, Maybe God doesn't really want me to do that. In fact, before when I thought that he did, maybe I was just sort of feeling guilty at that moment. Um, Did God really say that? Did God really do that? Man, sometimes we are difficult to convince. We can sway the signs. We can reinterpret God's clear guidance on our lives to try to let ourselves off the hook. And Samuel, despite, I'm sorry, Saul, despite having all of this evidence that God had led him to this point, is still trying to find a way to get off the hook. And it's, it's worth just pausing and having us ask ourselves, are you ignoring clear direction from God because you don't like where he's leading you? Have you found a way to reinterpret it or re-explain it when God's leading is clear? You know, Saul does end up showing up at Mitzvah. Again, he's, he's hiding, he's waiting for things to happen. He hears Samuel's opening speech about how they really shouldn't even be there because the people shouldn't be asking for a king. And yet God in his mercy is gonna give them a king. And God even says he's gonna work through the king to deliver Israel from their enemies. Um, And maybe the reason that Saul is hiding is because there's still a chance that this goes in a different direction. Um, They're gonna now cast lots to determine who the king is. And Saul could be hiding behind the supplies and he could be thinking, all right, what, what are the chances? What are the chances that of all the 12 tribes, Benjamin gets chosen? And what are the chances that of all the clans in Benjamin, Matri gets chosen? And what are the chances of all of the men in the clan of Matri, I get chosen. He may have been thinking, Samuel said I'm gonna be the next king, but now we're leaving it to God. And, and the idea of casting lots was to some extent like rolling the dice or like drawing straws. And it was a way that God worked to direct the people of Israel. And Saul waits behind the supplies and Benjamin is chosen. And he continues to wait behind the supplies and the clan of Matri is chosen. And then he continues to wait behind the supplies and he himself is chosen. At this point, there's no way for Saul to deny that God is in this. At this point, there's no way for him to conclude anything but that God wants him to be the next king of Israel. And yet in essence, the reason he's hiding at this point can't possibly be that he's saying, I don't know if this is what God wants me to do. Um, Instead, it's gotta be that Saul is looking at it and saying, being the king is a really big deal. I don't know that I'm up for it. I don't know that I wanna do this. Caught between that tangle that we talked about at the beginning. This is the clear leading of God. I don't know if I'm up for the task. I don't know if I'm prepared for this. I don't know if I can do what I'm being called to do. And the deal is we we could look at this and we could say that this is humility. And humility is among just the the, the most significant virtues that God values. He loves to dwell with the humble. Humility is core. So we could look at Saul and say, well, Saul is just being humble here. And and here's the deal. There is some evidence that there's some humility in Saul. Um, There's some good moments that he has. In fact, when Saul is found from behind the baggage because God directed the people, that's where he is. Um, there's a couple of different reactions that the people have to him. The the people as a whole say, long live the king. And then there's a bunch of men that God stirs in their hearts. And so they follow Saul home to sort of be his army, to be his valiant men. But then it says that there's a bunch of scoundrels who despise Saul and say, he can't lead us. Um, 
By the way, when was the last time you heard somebody called a scoundrel? I think Han Solo was the last person called this, but I love that it shows up here in the Bible. There were some scoundrels who say of Saul, this guy can't lead us. And how the passage ends is that we're told Saul chose not to strike back against them. In fact, later on, as chapters 11 and 12 unfold, there's a passage where Saul has a great military victory and a bunch of the men say, now let's go get those scoundrels. Let's go put them to death for saying these things against the king. And Saul says, no, we're not going to do this. So, so there is some evidence for humility here, which is a good side of Saul. But Saul hiding behind the bags is not a mark of humility. It's a mark of insecurity. And don't mistake humility for insecurity. They are not the same thing. On the flip side, don't mistake pride for confidence. They're also not the same thing. If Saul had simply been humble, there'd be nothing wrong with that. That would be a very positive thing. But Saul being insecure, Saul lacking confidence does not bode well for his reign. We're already being told from the outset, this is not somebody who is acting with the kind of confidence that God wants him to act with. And let me just clarify this because you might be thinking, well, wasn't confidence arrogance? Uh, Aren't these sort of the same thing? And I want to tell you that they're not the same thing because confidence is different based on where the confidence is placed. Let me give you an illustration. Um, Let's say, you know, I I know basketball isn't happening right now, but but Steph Curry, one of the great players in the uh, the NBA, um, maybe the best shooter who who has ever lived. He's an incredible shooter. Um, If he goes up to the line to make a free throw, you you pretty much can take it to the bank. It's going to go in. So let's say somebody came to me and said, um, we're going to go to a gym. Steph Curry is going to walk up to the line and shoot a free throw. You get to bet whatever you want that he's going to make that free throw. Um, I'll I'll just tell you this right now. I'm not a betting man, but I would bet on that. Uh, I mean, at the very least, I'd be like, I got to put 20 bucks on that. That that ball is going in. And I probably would be tempted to bet a lot more than 20 bucks that he's going to make that shot. Um, But let's say the the, the bet goes further and he says, all right, well, well here's the deal. Um, he's going to walk up and he has three shots just to make one. He only has to make one of the three free throws. Um, at that point, I would be ready to bet my paycheck. I mean, I would be ready to bet. I, th- that is not hard for Steph Curry to shoot free, three free throws and make at least one of them. Um, and let's say further than that, they said he is going to shoot 1,000 free throws and he only has to make one for you to win your bet. And at this point, I'm mortgaging my house. I'm putting up everything that I have. We're, we're, we're getting the titles to the cars, all of our money, all of our saving, retirement account, whatever it is, we are putting everything on this. And if you looked at me and said, betting all that, being that confident, you're arrogant. And I would say, I'm not arrogant because I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in Steph Curry's ability to make one in 1,000 free throws is easy. Do you know how easy it is for Steph Curry to make one free throw out of 1,000? And the answer is not as easy as it is for the God of the universe to make Saul able to be a successful king. Saul's confidence shouldn't have been in himself and in his own warrior ability and in his own wisdom. But God had demonstrated again and again that he was in this. 
He had shown by signs and wonders and by miraculous things that he was in this. At this point, Saul had the opportunity to demonstrate confidence in God, to say, I know I'm not up to this task, but the God of the universe, the God that spoke and things were created, the God who delivered Israel from all of her enemies, the God who rules over all, the God who is the king of the kings, that God can make it happen. So I'm gonna walk forward in confidence. I'm gonna say, God, you want me to be an anonymous shepherd somewhere? That's fine. And God, you want me to be the king over all Israel? That's fine, because you are more than capable of equipping me for what I'm able to do. In fact, as we continue through 1 Samuel, we're gonna get introduced to eventually Saul's successor, David. And David has this spirit. Man, David is willing to be the forgotten shepherd boy in his family if that's what God calls him to do. And David is willing to go and fight the giant if that's what God calls him to do. And then David is willing to lead the armies of Saul into dangerous situations, into battles, if that's what God calls him to do. And then David is willing to wait and not get revenge on Saul, even though Saul is trying to hunt him down and kill him, if that's what God wants him to do. And finally, David is willing to be king, if that's what God wants him to do. Because David's confidence isn't in himself. This isn't arrogance. This isn't pride. This is security and confidence in the God of the universe. This story about Saul's coronation is interesting because in some ways it doesn't seem terribly eventful, but we get these hints and we get a cautionary tale about how wrong things can eventually go if we're not willing to step forward and have confidence in God. And and we can look at this story and say, oh, well, this is is a story about 3,000 years ago, something that happened in Israel. What in the world does this have to do with us? How does this apply to us today? And, And I'll tell you how this applies to us today. This tells us something that's hugely important. And that hugely important thing is that what God calls a person to, God always equips that person for. God was calling Saul to be the king and Saul could have walked forward in confidence to say, if God's given me this job, he is going to make me able to do it. But instead, Saul Saul showed from the beginning, he didn't have this deep abiding passion for God. He would rather play it safe and avoid the responsibility. What God calls a person to, God equips that person for. And the thing that God calls you to may be a really challenging conversation. It may be that he calls you to go to a brother or sister in Christ and talk to them about something difficult because you need to show love towards them. It may mean that you need to reach out with the gospel to somebody who's not a believer. It may mean that God is calling you to some kind of leadership within the church and that that means you're gonna be a life kids leader or a life group leader, that you're gonna get up and play an instrument in front of people. God may call you to do all sorts of things and whatever God calls you to, he equips you for. So when you're sitting there agonizing over the reality of God's clearly called me to do this, but I don't feel up to the task, you get the opportunity to put your confidence in God. And as we do that, I want to tell you, man, we, we, we have two amazing resources. As believers in Jesus, we have two amazing resources when we're in those stressful points of saying, God's called me to do this. I don't know if I'm up for it. We have two resources that are based on the victory of Jesus Christ. 
And the first resource is this. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In this story, we saw an occasion where Saul ends up being filled with the Holy Spirit and ends up prophesying something that he never had the ability to do before. If God calls you to be a life group leader, if God calls you to be a go teams leader, if God calls you to be a life kids leader, or an exit 83 leader, if God calls you to do those things, the Holy Spirit within you can and will empower you to do what he's called you to do. If God has put you in a position where you need to have a difficult conversation, if God has put you in the position of being a parent and having to deal with the different difficulties of being a parent, what God calls you to, God equips you for, and you have the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, which is probably more difficult than giving you the courage to have that difficult conversation. Our first resource is that we have the Holy Spirit because of the victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the second amazing resource that we have is that we have the grace of God poured out through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So that when we enter into something that overwhelms us and we're afraid that we're gonna stumble and fall, and chances are good that somewhere along the way, in some sense, we will stumble and fall, grace gives us a safe place to land. I mean, as Christians, we we don't wanna fail. We don't wanna fall short. But most of us at this point should suspect that we will at some point. And we get to walk into situations that are overwhelming to us, knowing I don't want to fail, but if I do, I have grace. I have a safe place to land. I have forgiveness. I have the patience of God. I'm adopted into the family. I know that I'm taken care of, even if I fall on my face in doing this difficult thing that God has called me to do. What God calls a person to, he equips them for. And I just want to invite you to to take a minute to consider what God may be calling you to. Have there been ways that God has been calling you to step forward in faith and you've been avoiding it because it's really scary and because you don't feel up to the task? You're seeing the signs, but you're ignoring the signs. You're seeing the signs, but you're trying to find a way to re-explain them so that you don't have to do the scary thing that you feel like God is calling you to do. Um, Let me just walk through. I I felt led to to give this encouragement. So here's what I want to do. I want to give a specific application point in what we're talking about to a specific group. But I want everybody to listen in because I feel like just by me talking to this group, you're going to see that what I'm talking about is transferable. So I just want to talk for a minute to the men who are listening and especially the men who are listening who have families. Here's the deal. At Life Bible Fellowship Church, we we believe that the, the Bible is very clear that men are called to take the loving servant lead in their families. By the way, we're also totally aware that this is out of step with our culture to even say something like that. But we believe the Bible is really clear on this. Men, if you're married, if you have a family, what the Bible says is you are the head. Not go be the head. You are the head. You might be a good one. You might be a bad one. The core responsibility lies with you. And so here's the encouragement that I want to give you. Uh, There probably are some of you that hear that, and man, you're daunted by it. You want to go find some supplies to hide behind. You want out of that job. And you might even be looking at your family and saying, gosh, my wife is more godly than I am. I I don't know why I should be the one to do this. The idea that I'm going to pray with the family, the idea that I'm going to be looking out for our church involvement and how we do that as a family, the idea that I'm going to in in some way be reading the scriptures or or having conversations or, or making a plan so that our kids really have the opportunity to develop spiritually, the idea that that's on me, I don't want anything to do with that. I want 
want anybody else to have that job and I just don't feel up to it. And what I wanna say is, you know what? If you are in that position, God has called you to take the lead and God never calls us to do something that he's not going to equip us for. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Take steps of faith with your confidence, not in your own knowledge and not in your own wisdom and not in your own eloquence, but with your confidence being in the fact that God is in this and God has put you in this situation and that God is going to work through your simple steps of faith. Place your confidence in God alone and then just take the next step by faith. And maybe that application point is is not direct for you. Maybe it is that there's a conversation that you know you need to have and you're dreading it. Maybe it is that there's a position of leadership that you know God is calling you to and you're dreading it. If God is calling you to it, first of all, he's going to equip you to do so through the Holy Spirit and through his grace. And also if God has called you to do it, he's gonna work faithfully. Even if you can't see what he's gonna do right away. Let me just take a minute and return to the story that I told at the beginning. Um, And I wish this was a great dramatic story um, about this couple coming in to meet with me. And I was going to say, I I can't officiate the wedding. I wish that what happened in this story is that they both said, my goodness, you're right. And then the guy fell on his knees and confessed faith in Jesus. And and I could tell all that. Um, The fact is I had that conversation with them and I never saw them again. But let me tell you what did happen in this conversation that I was dreading. Um, They were obviously disappointed and, uh, and, the, and the young lady, she, she was crying. She didn't want to look at me. And she sort of, she didn't storm out of the office, but she left the office. Um, and the young man who wasn't a believer came up to me before leaving. He put his hand out for me to shake it. And he simply said, um, I know that must've been really difficult for you to do. Thank you for being willing to do that. I don't know if that guy ever put his faith in Jesus. I'll tell you, I was praying today. I I don't even remember his name. I was praying today that he will if he hasn't already. But here's what I do know. He walked into that room thinking for Christians, Jesus is somebody who's in the backseat just kind of hollering out suggestions that Christians may or may not take. And he left that room that day knowing that for Christians, Jesus is driving the car. They so believe in Jesus that they allow him to be in charge of all of the most important decisions in their life, including their marriages. God will work through your steps of faith that you take, even when you're overwhelmed, especially when you're overwhelmed. Don't mistake insecurity for humility and don't back away from confidence in God because you're afraid that it's pride. Walk forward in simple steps of faith and step back to watch what God will do. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you work through us. Even though we are inadequate, we are not up to the task. Saul was not up to the task. But how tragic when we think of what you might have done if he was willing to put his confidence in you. Father, lead us to put our confidence in you. Lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Comfort us by the grace that was poured out through Jesus and lead us to be willing to step forward and be your men and women in the positions that you put us in to show your glory to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen and God bless you for the rest of this week.